So I want to talk about becoming houses of spiritual renewal. There's always a pattern in anything when we read in the Bible. We find this pattern of the home being the vehicle that God has always used to interact with the family. I want to go through some scriptures with you just to set the foundation for this. Because, you know, in the way people do church today, in the way we do church, we move from the house and go to the building that's called a church, and there's nothing wrong with that, and we go there and then we worship. And yet, really, the place where worship must start and interaction with God must start is the home. Like you are right now, at home, worshiping, praying together, listening to this sermon together. That's really the pattern that God has always wanted. Let me give you an example. In Genesis chapter 7, when God talked to Noah that he's going to destroy the whole earth with a flood, God speaks to Noah and says to him in Genesis 7 verse 1, it says, and the Lord said to Noah, come into the ark, you and all your household, because I have seen that you are a righteous man before me in this generation. So, you know, Noah's righteousness and his leadership that he exercised in the family spread to God having mercy and compassion over Noah and his family. God didn't just save Noah. He took Noah and his family. So it's at a family level, at a home level, where God starts interacting with people concerning spirituality. This is what he says to Abraham in Genesis chapter 18. You know, after the angels had come to Abraham and they had told him, God spoke to Abraham that he's going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And God started engaging in conversation with Abraham. And this is what God says to Abraham in verse 17 of Genesis 18. Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm going to be doing? Since Abraham shall become a great and mighty nation, and all of the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. Now note what God says in verse 19. He says, for I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him. So he's to command his children and his household after him, that they may keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken to him. So Abraham had led his family very clearly in the things of God. And God is saying, Abraham, I know you have taken responsibility over your family. But then God adds something else. He says to Abraham, and because you've commanded your family after me as God, and you've guided your family after me as God, I will bring to pass the promises that I have spoken over your life. So the fulfillment of the promises upon Abraham's lives were predicated upon him, leading his family in the things of God. It is in the home, really, where God wants spirituality to be modeled, where we need to pray, we need to read the word, we need to follow after the principles of the word of God. Remember when God spoke to Moses about the judgment that was going to come upon Egypt when the children of Israel were in captivity in Egypt. And God said, I'm going to give you an instruction 
to make sure that every household and every family has a lamp and they need to sacrifice that lamp, take the blood of that lamp, smear it on the doorpost of their house, of their home. And when the angel of death comes in, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Let me read you that portion. It's in Exodus chapter 12, if you want to know where that is. It, I read from verse 1. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, this, this month shall be the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. This month, verse 3 rather, excuse me. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, on the 10th of this month, watch, every man shall take for himself a lamb according to the house of his father. A lamb for a household. So it's a lamb for every house. A sacrifice for every house. A sacrifice for every home. Then he says in verse 4, if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the persons, according to each man's need, you shall make your count for the lamb. So every home needed to have a lamb of its own. And even the smaller families could unite together and they could be able to have a lamb together. What's the principle? God says every home must have a lamb. Every home must have Christ as the center of that home. Every home must make its own decision that God is at the center. Here we are, we are under lockdown as families. We are together, interacting together, but we can make our homes a place of spiritual renewal. Of course, that doesn't mean we pray 24-7, 365 and a quarter days. That doesn't mean that. But what it means is that for every home, we decide as a household that we as a home are going to learn to worship God together, just like you are doing right now. The children of Israel at a point walked away from the commandments of God. And Joshua was so angry with them that he took a stand to address the children of Israel. And in Joshua 24, from verse 14, this is how it reads. Joshua says to them, Now therefore, fear the Lord. Serve him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Then he says again, serve the Lord. Verse 15. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Hallelujah. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The home is really at the center of spiritual renewal. The home is really a place where the worship of God needs to be practiced, needs to be modeled, needs to be known. It should be that when we go to the physical building that we call church, it's just an extension of what we really do at home. There's a very interesting story we read about in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 7. The children of Israel, of course, as you know, 
they would disobey God and they would follow after other gods. When that happened, they would always be besieged by a foreign nation that would not only take them captive, but as a first prize, they would take away the Ark of the Covenant of the children of Israel. And I want you to see the picture of the Ark. The Ark of the Covenant for God's people was a, 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 a box, as you can see. It was a container that in a way housed the presence of God. The Ark of the Covenant had different elements to it, and I'm going to talk about them later on. But this Ark, as long as the children of Israel had it among them, it represented the presence of God among his people. And so when other nations would come and besiege the children of Israel, one of the major things they wanted is to take the ark away from them. When the ark wasn't among the children of Israel, they became a weak nation, they struggled, they went through all kinds of things. So the presence of the ark in their lives meant God is among them. And so in 1 Samuel 7, we're reading how now things had changed and the ark had been brought back from the Philistines. They had taken it and the ark was brought back. First of all, in 1 Samuel chapter 7, when the house was brought back from the Philistines, it was housed at the house of a man by the name of Abinadab. After it was retrieved from the Philistines, it was put in the house of Abinadab. Usually the ark would be put out, out in the temple, in the tent. As you know, the tent had different designations, different areas that you could enter. You had the outer place, the inner place, and the Holy of Holies. But this time, very interestingly, the ark was brought into somebody's home. I think this was very prophetic. This was such an important thing to show that even before the ark could be taken to the temple, the ark first was taken to a home. I think it's a pattern. God is saying, before you can meet me in the temple, I first want to meet with you where you stay, in your home. And then much later, the ark was transferred from the house of Abinadab to the house of Obed-Edom. And I want us to read that because it's a very important scripture that, that I think can talk to you and talk to me about the presence of God in our families. In 2 Samuel chapter 6, Verse 10 to verse 11. This is how it reads. So David would not move the ark of the Lord with him into the city of David. But David took it aside into the house of Obedidom the Gidite. Now note verse 11. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obedidom the Gidite three months. Think about it. The ark was in the house of Obedidom three months. Then I love the last part. It says, and the Lord blessed Obedidom and all his household. See, when the ark is in our home, God will bless the home. See, God wants to bless your home. Bless you as the leader of the home. Bless the people in that home because the ark of the Lord is in our homes. Let our homes be a place where the ark of God can tabernacle. It can be present among them, us. Let the, our homes be a place 
where the presence of God can fully be there among us because we can do what these people did. It may not be the ark in a sense of the box that we saw, but the ark in a sense that your home and my home become places of spiritual renewal, become places where we pray and we do all that. Now, when you look at the ministry of Jesus, it's so interesting to note that even if he ministered to the multitude and walked around and was in the mountains and ministers next to the, ministered next to the sea, went to the desert, but one of the main places Jesus went to was in the homes of people. Because you see, it's in the home where God wants spirituality to be modeled. God wants your home to be a home of spiritual renewal. God wants your home to be a place where God is at the center. Look at it. In Mark chapter 1, Jesus went to the home of Peter's mother-in-law. Mark 1.29, it says, Now as soon as they had come out of the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now note verse 30. But Simon's wife's mother lay sick with a fever, and they told him about her at once. And so he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she served them. Now note verse 32. At evening, when the sun had set, they brought to him all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed. They literally brought them to the house where Jesus was. So the house, the home, became a place of healing, a place of deliverance. It says, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. Think about it. When the whole people, your whole area, people come to your home and to the door of your home. Verse 34 says, and then he healed many who were sick with various diseases, cast out many demons, and he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. Jesus used a home, a house, to bring about renewal, to bring about spiritual vibrancy. The same way God wants to do a similar thing in your home, in your house. During this lockdown, learn this principle that my home, my house, I'm going to yield it to God and let it be a place like that. You may not know how to preach. You may not know how to pray for long hours. It's fine. But it's a decision you can make and say, my home, instead of being a place where all other things happen, my home, I want it to be a place of spiritual renewal. In Luke 5, we read the story where Jesus came into this particular house. It says it happened on a certain day as Jesus was teaching. There were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who came out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. Note what it says. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. You know, sometimes we think the, the anointing, as we call it, the power of God only moves at the church. You know, we think that, you know, we just need to be in a church building for the presence of God to move. But you see, the power of the Lord can move right there in your home. Yeah, there may not be any ushers to catch you. There may not be any prayer cloth to cover you up. But the presence of the Lord can move right where you are. Verse 18. Then behold, men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they had brought in, the Bible says. And when they couldn't find by how, which way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the housetop 
and they let him down with his bed through the tiling into the mist before Jesus. So we know when they brought him in the midst, Jesus spoke a word of healing and healed this man. That's what God wants to do in your home. He wants the healing power, the restoring power, the anointing to be in your home, to function in a home. Of course, our homes are not all homes. We go through all challenges. There's times when we, we don't see eye to eye. There's times when we argue. There's times when we're not happy about each other. There's times when we rub one another the wrong way. But you see, it doesn't mean that when that happens, our homes cannot be a place that God can inhabit. Really, God wants your home to be a place of spiritual renewal. I love the story of a man by the name of Zacchaeus that we read about in Luke chapter 19. This man, the Bible tells us, he was a tax collector, a chief tax collector. And the Bible underlines and says he was wealthy. This is in Luke 19 verse 2. He was a wealthy man. You see, just to give you a bit of a background, tax collectors in those days, right? And I want to underline, in those days, okay, they were a very corrupt group, right? Because they went to go and collect taxes from people. Now, as you know, you know, when it comes to taxes, people do default, right? And there's penalties that go with that. So as they went about collecting tax, they would, they would deal in a very treacherous way with people. They would get bribes, they would threaten people, and all kinds of things. They were really not liked in their communities, all right? They were not known to be good people. In fact, when you listen to Jesus preaching, Jesus would always equate the tax collectors with the Pharisees and the Sadducees as people who really did not serve God as they should. They were not regarded in a high way. But you know what? Even when people do wrong, in our hearts of hearts, there's always a cry towards God. There's always a desire for us to gravitate towards God and have God be involved in our lives. And so this man who was a chief test collector, verse 3 tells us about this man by the name of Zacchaeus. It says a man was there, verse 2 rather, by the name of Zacchaeus, he was a chief tax collector and he was wealthy. Verse 3, he wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot where Zacchaeus was, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. Watch, I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this and they began to mutter, this man has gone to be a guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said, Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this home because of this man. And so, you see, Zacchaeus, regardless of how he was, he still went to Jesus. And Jesus changed this man's life at his home. Like some of you this morning, your life can change right there in your home, as you're watching this broadcast and listening to this message, God wants to reach out to you and change your life right there at home. We read about the outpouring of the Spirit 
in the early church, we know in Acts chapter 1 that they went up to a house in Jerusalem. And when the Holy Spirit was poured out, it was poured out upon them when they were in the upper room, they were at a house. We also read further about Cornelius, who was not a Jew, he was not a believer. But the Bible says this man had prayed every day with his household. He had given alms and an angel appeared to him. And the angel told him to send for Peter in Joppa. And when Peter came to the house of Cornelius, he preached to Cornelius and his household and the entire household was changed by the power of God. God wants our homes to become places of renewal. Now here's the question. How then do we become houses of spiritual renewal or homes of visitation or you can call it revival? Number one, we know that prayer in the house or in the home, it will always lead to spiritual renewal. When you use your home as a place of prayer and you learn to pray as a family, it will lead to renewal. Hosea 10, 12 says, I said, plant good seeds of righteousness and you will harvest a crop of love. Plow up the hard grounds of your heart for now is the time to seek the Lord that he may come and shower righteousness upon you. May God shower righteousness upon you as you pray together as a family. Whether you join us in the five o'clock prayer as a family or any other time, may God shower you with showers of blessings in your life and fill you to overflowing as you have your home as a place of spiritual renewal. Number two, we need to experience the presence of God as we see in the life of uh, Abinadab and Obedidom. In fact, there are the ark, as I said, and let me show, let's show the picture again. The ark that was in the house of Obedidom, the ark has six things about it that I want us to talk about. These six things represent very specific things concerning your family. We want to be homes of spiritual renewal. We want to be homes that welcome the presence of God and we welcome the ark of God in our home. How do we do that in a practical sense? Number one, this ark is called the ark of the covenant, the ark of the covenant. So houses of renewal will be houses or homes that honor covenant. See, we need to be houses that honor the covenant of the word of God. Homes that recognize the centrality of God's word in everything we do. We should base what we do in our homes on the word of God. We should live by the word. We should walk by the word. We should allow the word to guide us in everything we do. Houses that recognize the centrality of God's word is houses that hold even the covenant that the Bible talks about in high regard. For instance, the covenant of marriage. We should hold up the covenant of marriage so that we become faithful and loyal in our marriage bounds. The covenant of friendships, the covenant of relationships. We should be those kind of homes that uphold that covenant. Also, it is homes that honor the covenant of their words. If we make promises among each other as a family or to other people, we shouldn't make empty and casual promises. 
We should use words knowing fully well that if we say we're going to do something, we're going to keep to what we said. That's a very important principle. Because if we don't do it that way, then we don't become homes of covenant. Look at Psalms chapter 15 from verse 1. It says, who may worship in your sanctuary, Lord? Who may enter your presence on your holy hill? Those who lead blameless lives and do what is right. Speaking the truth from a sincere heart. Those who refuse to gossip or harm their neighbor or speak evil to their friends. Those who despise flagrant sinners and honor the faithful followers of the Lord. And watch and keep their promises even when it hurts. Those who lend money without charging interest and who cannot be bribed to lie about innocence, such people will stand firm forever. May your family be a home that keeps covenant and therefore you will stand firm forever. Keep the covenant of marriage. Keep the covenant of relationship and keep the covenant of your words. The second thing we see on the Ark of the Covenant, if you can see the picture there, I don't know if you'll be able to see it fully, but on top of this box of the covenant, right on top, you can see there uh, two angels and they are kind of hovering over what is called the mercy seat. Now, that, those angels there, where they are sitting, they are sitting on top of a lid. And this lid could be removed so that you can access what is inside that box. Now, that lid is actually called the messy seat, the messy seat, which is this. So houses or homes of renewal, watch this, are places of mercy. What do we mean? They dispense mercy freely and abundantly. God made it a point that when they opened the lid to access what was inside the box, what was inside the box? Inside the box, there were three things. There was the tables of law from Moses. There was the rod of Aaron that budded. And there was the manna. We'll talk about those later. But God is making a symbol that before they could access what's in the box and touch the law, which is the word of God, they must first put their hand on the mercy seat. So this is a prophetic declaration by God how the gospel is to be filled with mercy. See, we need to preach the mercy of God. So houses that are houses of renewal are homes where mercy is dispensed. It is homes where we have restorative justice. Even when people have done wrong, we bring them back in a house of mercy. We should be homes that extend mercy to the sick, mercy to the hurting, mercy to the poor. In Matthew 9, note what it says from verse 11. When the Pharisees saw what Jesus did, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors or sinners? Because you see, these religious people were hardened, they were hard, they didn't want to have anything to do with people who are not on their side. Then it says, on hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. God is a God of mercy. And houses of spiritual renewal should be places that dispense the mercy of God freely. Number three, inside the Ark of the Covenant, as I said, 
was the tables of the law. This meant, therefore, that after having put their hand on mercy, they could then access the law of the Lord. So this is a symbolic act that when we handle God's word, we mustn't use God's word to destroy others. We shouldn't be quoting verses at home in the Bible, from the Bible to each other, to try and get a message to each other. We should be using what we learned to try and send a silent message to the other. The worst thing we can ever do is to back somebody in a corner and shove the Bible into their face in the name of bringing them to God. That's not how we preach the gospel. See, Houses of Renewal preach the gospel saturated with a spirit of mercy. In other words, they have biblical standards that are saturated with mercy and love. First Timothy chapter 1, when we read from verse 12, Paul says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me faithful, appointing me to his service. Now note verse 13. He said, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance. See, we need to be people who show mercy. Judgment doesn't help. You know, sometimes we try to force people in our homes to, to, to follow God, but the way we do it and the way we say it, it doesn't show mercy at all. Show mercy, show love. Hebrews 4, 16, when it tells us to come to God, it says, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. Isn't it amazing? God's throne is called the throne of grace. It's the throne that dispenses mercy. Oh yes, you can come before God right where you are today with your family or you yourself and you can receive grace. You can receive mercy. No matter what has happened in your life, no matter how much you think your life is messed up today, God is able to give you mercy. Also, inside the ark was manna. Manna speaks of God's provision. In other words, houses of spiritual renewal are houses that are filled with faith, trusting that God will miraculously supply for them. All these times we are in are difficult in terms of resources. But you need to trust God. According to Philippians 4.19, but my God shall supply all my need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. You need to be trusting God and believing God. Also, inside the ark, there was Aaron's rod. And in trusting, it was a rod that had budded. So, in the houses of renewal, it is houses that elevate and recognize God's sovereignty in choosing and gifting individuals. See, in every home, we are all gifted differently. God has touched our lives differently. There are some of you who have that rod and the rod of leadership. You may be a child in your home, but somehow God has lifted you up to give you leadership ability. Maybe even during this time of lockdown, you could be the one who leads the prayer in your home. You could be the one who leads your family in worship to God. You could be the one maybe who takes the Bible and shares the word of God with your family. You may be the last born in the family. You may be the youngest in the family. You may be one who doesn't speak that much. You may not be the most confident. You may not be uh, the most whatever the people can say. You know, you may not be the most charismatic. 
but there's a mantle upon your life. Houses of spiritual renewal is homes that recognize the giftings and the mantles that God places on us. Every home we have different giftings and all these giftings need to be recognized. Those giftings come by the presence of God and when the presence of God is upon us through these giftings, our rod will bud. We will be able to lead. We will be able to do well. See, every one of us, we are different. Be the difference that God has brought into the world and bring that into the home. And number six, the ark of God housed the glory of God. So the houses of renewal becomes homes where the tangible living presence of God is felt or it's places where people can be able to be healed and helped and counseled. What a blessing it is for our homes to be homes that God can be able to touch the people's lives in. Homes where the presence of God can be felt. Homes that can show love and compassion. It is in the home where the presence of God can be felt. You know, when Jesus said in Matthew 18, 20, he told us that when we gather, whether we are two or three, like it is right now under lockdown, where two or three are gathered together in my name, Jesus said, I will be among you. You may not be among the crowds, there may not be any music. You may not be in a physical building, but right where you are, the presence of God is right there. So as you gather together as a family, know the presence of God is there. In Luke chapter 5, we've already seen it. The presence of God was there as Jesus sat and taught the people. The presence of God was there. So regardless of where we meet, we need the presence of God to be among us. Let me read you an amazing story that many of you know in Genesis 28. The story of Jacob when he was going through difficulty and things were not working out in his life. He was running from his brother. He was in trouble. He was looking at his life that seemed to be going down. And finally, he found a place where he put his head on a rock and he slept. And by night, he dreamed a dream, and there was a ladder from where he was that stretched all the way into heaven. And he saw heavenly beings going up and down that place. And so in the morning, when he woke up, this is what he said. He said, surely God is in this place, and I didn't know it. God is in this place, and I didn't know it. Jacob then decided, I'm going to rename this place. I'm going to call this place Bethel because God was here and I didn't know it. See, God can be present in your home, but because, you know, at home we live such natural lives and we go through the natural things that everybody goes through in a home setup, you may not be realized that God is there in the home. But God wants to be in your home. And so we need to experience the presence of God in our lives. Even when we are at home, and let your home be a place of spiritual renewal. It's a divine reality where God wants to come into your life. And so I want to make an invitation to you right now. You want to receive Christ, maybe you and your whole family. Maybe it's just you alone, but you want to say, you know what? I realize that the presence of God is in my home. Even now, I want to receive Christ as Savior and Lord. And after that prayer, I also want to take time to pray for you as a family. 
But I want to pray with you. Would you join me in prayer? Maybe when you look at your life, you say, you know, my life is not pleasing to God. This morning, I've heard God's word. This morning, I want God to come into my life. Can you follow me in this prayer, please, if you want to receive Christ? Maybe your family can join you. Let's pray together. Follow me, please. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I come to you just as I am. I invite Jesus Christ to come into my heart to be the Savior and the Lord of my life. Forgive me for my sin. I ask you to remove all my wrong as I yield to you. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Make me a child of God. Change me now and make me a new person. Thank you for hearing my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.